Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Radical. Fundamental Principles of Freedom. Rational self-interest and individual rights. This is the Yaron Brook Show. All right, welcome everybody. Hope you're having a great weekend. This is the Yaron Brook Show. That kind of stopped all of a sudden. Um, so today, we're going to talk some more about coronavirus. There's nothing else in the news. I mean, uh, if there's particular issues you guys would like to talk about, let me know. Let me know because it's uh, there's nothing else newsworthy, I guess, to talk about. Uh, I am in Puerto Rico. Martin asked. I am in Puerto Rico. Uh, given that I look at the news feed and it's all coronavirus, all the time. Everything else is framed by this, um, by this debate. All right, I wanted to talk today about something we really haven't really talked about, and that is um, the fact that, you know, emergencies like this, crises like this, um, in spite of the horror of it all, uh, do bring out some real heroism among some of us. And I think it's worth reflecting on that and it's worth appreciating the people who are doing amazing things in spite of the horrors that they are surrounded by, in spite of the stress, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the obstacles, not official obstacles, placed in front of them. Uh, you know, primarily, if you look around the world right now, or if you look around this country right now, you can see the heroic efforts being made by doctors and nurses and medical professionals, hotel, uh, hospital staff in, in, a, in, in places like New York City, where for a number of days, emergency rooms were overrun, uh, things were massively crowded, decisions, you know, super fast decisions had to be made life or death decisions about how to treat patients, uh, what to do with them. You know, the, the, the genius of, of, of doctors, their ability, their, their knowledge, their experience, and, and just their ability to function under stress is just amazing. And uh, same with nurses and same with anybody who's involved in that process. 
And it truly is worth stopping and, and, and appreciating that and thanking them and recognizing the heroism of many, many lives have been saved over the last few days by medical professionals and, and are saved every day under varying circumstances, but certainly right now uh, by medical professionals doing their job, um, not sleeping much, uh, not taking time off much, but, you know, hanging in there and, and doing an amazing, amazing job, uh, you know, keeping us, keeping us alive, keeping many of us alive. Somebody asked, what about the math- mathematicians who model it all? Well, first, the models seem to suck, if I can say so. I mean, I, I don't know that the models are that good. But secondly, yeah, I mean, good job. It's not the same, though. Uh, mathematicians modeling this, most of the models we're using were developed like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. The, the big model from the, that's being used in, in, in England that everybody seems to be using now, although it, it's dubious in terms of its performance, um, is an old model. People develop those under very different conditions. Heroism is, you know, exceeding, doing a phenomenal job in the face, in the face of real obstacles, in the face of real challenges, in the face of real difficulty. And I think, I think that doctors in emergency rooms and, and elsewhere treating these patients, a flood of patients coming in, uh, qualify as that. Suddenly, mathematicians are doing a great job uh, developing models. Yeah, I would like a good model. That would be cool. (laughs) Uh, Just like I'd like my doctors to be cool-headed, rational, focused on the facts, focused on reality, and in spite of everything else going crazy around them, do the right thing. So, three cheers to the doctors, the nurses, the medical professionals that are saving lives every day in hospitals all across the country, all across the world, really. But, you know, the ones where I think the, the rubber is hitting the road right now is, um, is in New York City. So, uh, it's a good job to everybody involved, uh, involved in that. It, it looks like Looking at New York City numbers, and I'm certainly no expert, and I don't know if these numbers are completely up to date, and so a lot of hesitation to say this, but it does look like hospitalizations in New York City peaked on um, on March 30th and went down 31st, went down April 1st. We still don't have complete numbers for April 2nd, but they seem to be going down. The same with deaths. Um, deaths peaked in uh, in March 31st, and went down on the 1st and 2nd of April. So we will see if that data is confirmed, if that trend is confirmed. But that would be amazingly good news if, um, if this is uh, the, the crisis has really peaked in New York City uh, two or three days ago. The, the models are suggesting that uh, the peak is going to happen, I guess, sometime next week. So I'm hoping the models are wrong and that the peak has already happened and... Um, Things will calm down a little bit, and uh, maybe, maybe within a few weeks, we can go back to at least semi-normal in um, in New York City, uh, which is which is kind of the first wave of this really hit there. Although there's a uh, New Orleans is right behind it, Detroit, 
uh, and potentially we'll see what happens in California. You know, again, there's preliminary evidence to suggest that California has has really suppressed the curve and is not going to reach the kind of um, really, really dangerous levels that uh, were feared. Um, <clears throat> now, so that's, that's doctors and medical professionals. <clears throat> but I also want to commend, you know, the, 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 the science labs, the biotech companies, the, uh, the people developing, uh, <clears throat> excuse me one second, let's do this. developing, like, at a drop of the hat, as soon as this became an issue, uh, biotech companies, uh, drug companies, a variety of different companies engaged in healthcare, started developing uh, antivirals, started developing vaccines, started developing all kinds of things to try to combat uh, this this virus. It's pretty amazing, the speed, almost every day, you hear about another company, another another uh, beginning of another test uh, or another testing regime. So we're seeing we're seeing really the the for profit market, the bio market, really stepping up, really stepping up to uh, to try to give long term solutions to the problems we're facing. And it's not clear that any of them are going to make money at it. And I mean that's the. One of the amazing things, I mean, people always condemn capitalism as short-term businessmen or short-term. No, quite the opposite. Businessmen are long-term. And you can see that everywhere, and you can see that more than anything in in biotech and healthcare and and how long-term, how long the investment cycle is, and how much they invest before there's any probability of profit. Indeed, it is government that tends to be short-term. It tends to be around a election cycle. Presidents, three, four years. Senate, maybe four years. House, every year and a half. So it really is business, by far, without exception, that is thinking long term. And you can see that, with and taking risks, which nobody else will take. I mean, the chance that any one of these vaccines will be Useful is very, very, very low. The chance of one of, you know, that a new drug that's developed will be approved and then useful is very, very, very low. And yet, they go about their business every single day in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the challenges. And right now, scientists are working day in, day out. They're working hard to develop new therapeutics for this coronavirus. Hold on one second. Much better, much more light. That's much better. Um, And I don't need these. So I I think we should recognize them. Yeah, they're going to, some of them are going to make money, but so what? We should thank them because we don't know which one is going to make the money. And money is nothing as compared to the benefit and value that they provide us. So thank you for all those businessmen, for all the scientists, for all the lab workers who are now frantically working on a cure, on a vaccine, on anything to mitigate 
disease. And, and here you can count kind of the artificial intelligence companies that are running massive simulations to match up existing drugs with, with uh, the characteristics of this virus. Match up anybody that is working right now to try to reduce the impact of this virus on our lives. There are a lot of people out there doing amazing work to try to save human life, to try to protect human life, in spite of the obstacles and the massive failure of government across the board, across the board. All right, so I just want to recognize, I wanted to take the opportunity to recognize those people, uh, to say thank you, and... uh, you know, show our appreciation because it's important. It's, it's so easy to get negative and to be obsessed by the negative and just to be like me and complain nonstop about government and about Trump and about everybody else. It's good. It's good to step back, to stop a second, take a deep breath and say thank you and appreciate Appreciate all the good stuff around you. Somebody said I got a haircut. No, no haircut. No haircut. Same hair. My, my hairdresser shut down. I don't know how he's going to survive. Hopefully he will because I need him. I need him. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Um, all right. Let's see. I wanted to say a few things about... I want to say a few things about... Um, my uh, uh, Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you all know that I am regularly accused of Trump derangement syndrome because I dislike everything about Trump, and that is true. I dislike everything about Trump, and I like to point out, don't like, but it's I do, point out his failures, and when his failures are as massive and as life-threatening and as 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 enraging as the his failure around the coronavirus i get pretty excited and i denounce him left and right um and uh and you know i've i've argued that the long-term damage that he will do is is you know truly unprecedented and he will go down as one of the worst presidents in american history and i stand by all of that and i stand by my getting angry and i stand by my all of my derangement <coughs> or enragement around Trump. Uh, but I do, I do want to r- r- remind you that after 9-11, I had Bush derangement syndrome. I wailed about Bush. I yelled about Bush. I did Q&As where I condemned him to hell. People were so upset at me. People called me, I mean, one intellectual called me, so-called ally intellectual, called me basically treasonous that I was siding with bin Laden because I was now rallying to the president during a time of crisis. I literally voted in 2004 for John Kerry because I thought Bush was such an absolute unmitigated disaster. And then Bush gave me another reason to rail against him and expose my Bush derangement syndrome in 2008 when his solution to the economic crisis was, in his own words, 
move away from capitalism in order to save it or some ridiculous notion like that, when he and his administration were completely clueless and almost completely destroyed the American economy. Bailouts, stimulus packages, and just disastrous policies. So I hated Bush, and I was accused of the equivalent of people were less uh, sophisticated than the name-calling back then. But today, they would have accused me of Bush derangement syndrome. And then, of course, for eight years, I had Obama derangement syndrome. I mean, I railed against Obama's stimulus package of $1 billion in 2009. $1 trillion, sorry, $1 trillion in 2009. And then we had Obamacare. And then I have to say, luckily, we got a Republican Congress. And I voted for Mitt Romney in, in, in 2012. We got a Republican Congress that kind of reined him in. And, you know, I, I railed against Benghazi, railed against um, the IRS scandal, and on and on and on, and government spending. And so I guess I think we have to coin a new term. And that is, Iran has a presidential derangement syndrome. I basically, since I become a kind of a public figure, I have been deranged about every single president. You know, what can I say? It's, it's my. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus my bad luck to have been a uh to have been lecturing and having podcasts and YouTube channel during a period where we have had three of the worst presidents in American history. And the reason I think I respond so much more violently maybe to Trump is because some of you guys are blind supporters of him in ways that well, Bush had his supporters. I've never seen this. And I wasn't exposed to the blind Obama supporters because they don't come to my lectures anyway and they don't listen to me anyway. So you guys are just throwing fuel in the fire by, you know, manifesting Trump lobotomy syndrome, the, the Trump unthinking syndrome. So, you know, that is my little spiel on Trump, Bush, Obama, my presidential derangement syndrome. I hate people. I despise people 
who have power use it to undermine the very foundations of this country. I despise people that undermine individual rights. I despise people who reject and condemn and undermine the greatness of this country. I despise people who have no understanding of the founding principle of America and have no regard for its founders and for the brilliant, amazing, genius documents that they left us with and the form of government that they left us with. I despise people. I am deranged by people who claim to represent America and and know nothing about what America is about, what America represents, what makes America great, what makes it exceptional. I despise people who then defend them. But, But it could have been Hillary. So, yep, I've got that presidential derangement syndrome going and probably will have it unfortunately unfortunately for the rest of my life because I do not see in my lifetime a president that I will not be deranged at I mean I have said that I would rather vote for Biden than Trump but as soon as Biden's elected I'm going after him indeed long before Biden is elected I will go after him if he's elected if he's elected so You know, I consider myself a defender of this country. I consider myself a defender of what America stands for. I consider myself a defender of the principles on which this country was founded. And I consider America the greatest country in all of human history, certainly in its founding, and to a large extent in its being over the last 250 years. And it pains me physically pains me to see all that thrown away by a bunch of morons who we elect this president. All right. What else did I want to cover today? I wanted to say, so I'm, I'm, uh, there's a lot of debate on, um, on Twitter and there's a lot of I, you know, those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know, I've been going after people. People are going on after me quite a bit. And there's significant debate on Twitter about, you know, my comments about uh, we, should, we should basically isolate old people. And let me just say, I, you know, I still stand by that. I, I think that's what should have been done. We should have tested, 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 isolated anybody who has it, isolated old people, isolated people who came in contact with those who had it. And then provided information and guidance to the rest of the people to socially distance from one another. I'm not against socially, social distancing. I'm against lockdowns. I'm against compulsion. I'm against pulling somebody out of the ocean because they're swimming alone. As far as I can tell, you cannot get coronavirus from fish or from seawater. I'm against violating individual rights. But I'm for social distancing. And indeed, the first social distancing happened when 
you know, when, when companies told their employees, like Amazon told some of its employees to stay home and work from home, when the NBA canceled its season, that social distancing was happening. It's the lockdowns, the shutdowns. But again, I don't blame necessarily all mayors or, or governors for doing it because the failures early on made it inevitable that that would be the solution. It's What I'm advocating for is in those places that haven't yet got to the point of having to lock things down. I mean, it's doubtful New York hospitals could have survived if New York had not been locked down when it was. Now, I also think that it's doubtful New York would have had to be locked down if there hadn't been extensive testing starting in February. There hadn't been isolation of the people, relevant people. And there hadn't been isolation, particularly of the older people, who tend to disproportionately be hospitalized. Although there's still, you know, there's slightly over, I think, 50% of hospitalization. But there are 85% of deaths. And, you know, uh, somewhere in between those two figures of ICU, of usage of ICU beds. Sweden has an isolator, but somebody says Sweden has the most cases in Scandinavia. Well, maybe. Maybe. But so what? It has slightly more deaths than other countries in Scandinavia, but it also has a larger population. So Sweden has a larger population than Norway and a larger population than Denmark. And it has slightly more deaths than both those countries. I can actually give you the exact numbers. So Sweden has 6,443 cases, 373 deaths, it's not really testing much, so my guess is Sweden has a lot more cases than that. But it's also, and I don't have the numbers, maybe somebody can look it up, uh, the size of the population of Sweden is, I think it's, it's over 10 million. Norway, which has a significantly smaller population, has per capita many more cases, 5,550, but it has fewer deaths, only 62. Who knows why that is the case, what's causing that. And then Denmark, that has a population, I think, somewhere between Norway and Sweden, and again, some of you can fix this, has a death rate somewhere between Norway and Sweden of 161. Yeah, Sweden has about 11 million. Norway, I think, has less than half of that. And I think Denmark is, if somebody could pull up Denmark, that'd be great. So I think in three months, in six months, maybe in 18 months, we will have a good sense of the damage of uh, in terms of uh, deaths, hospitalizations, in terms of um, between the three countries. And we'll have a sense of the differences in, um, in the economy between the three countries in terms of their response. And we'll also have to factor in the fact that Sweden stayed open. That is, people were freer in Sweden during that period of time. And there's clearly value to that that one has to also put into the kind of equation, and we'll be able to assess what appears to be the better model. Very similar populations, very similar, I think, healthcare systems, very similar lifestyles. Sweden, the number I've got for Sweden deaths is 373. number I've got for Norwegian deaths is 62. For Denmark, I've got 161. 
But uh, deaths could spike tomorrow. They could spike in Sweden. They could spike in Denmark. I mean, we won't know until we've let this play out. I don't know where Denmark is in the cycle. If you look at daily increase in um, in actual cases, yesterday was the highest day they've they've had for Norway. It's it's in decline. The number of cases in decline, and for Sweden. Uh, the day before yesterday was the highest day they've had. So everybody's in a different place in the cycle, so it's hard to tell exactly. So Denmark is about the size of Norway population-wise, <clears throat> but both of them are about half the size of Sweden. Um, also, Denmark, my guess is that Denmark has a greater density of population. Uh, Sweden and Norway have less of a density. So all of these factors matter. The other thing that matters is, of course, who gets it first? One of the reasons Germany has done fairly well is because Germany, in Germany, the people who got it first were young, and uh, therefore they, when they caught, they, so they observed it in young people, but those young people didn't die, and then they could mitigate it for the rest of the population. Oh, I, I did want to uh, make this comment. Um, generally, I don't think we'll know what's really happening for another couple of months. We won't know what, what worked best where. We won't know how many deaths are really happening. And then, of course, we'll have to wait and see whether we get a resurgence in the fall, whether it even goes away in the summer. A lot of stuff is going to be kind of revealed in the next month and a half when these lockdowns stop, when they let people back on the streets. Will we get a resurgence then? I mean, all of this is yet to be determined. And while there is some modeling out there, the models, again, have not proven to be particularly sophisticated there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of variables that don't seem to be uh, present in the models. On Facebook, I am... Um, yeah, so, so my point is, you know, isolate the elderly, test, isolate people who have the disease, isolate people who interacted with them, and, and socially, you know, have recommendations for voluntary socially distancing other places and places that I haven't reached that tipping point like New York probably reached a couple of weeks ago. It's not clear you need a lockdown if you do all those things, but we're not doing all those things because testing is still a disaster in the U.S. I want to say about something about articles I post on Facebook and on Twitter. I, I post stuff that I think is interesting, like I posted an article about Germany and then people in the, in the comment section said, hey, they're really missing a lot of stuff. Germans from Germany, you know, one from the U.S., one from Germany, said, no, 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 this article is wrong. This is wrong. That, that's great. That's how we get information out there. So I use articles from the New York Times, the Washington Post, because they actually have reporters who are actually reporting about what's going on in the world. I don't completely trust them, but it's the only source we have. We don't have anybody objective going out into the world and reporting back. So I post what I can find, and I, I like the fact that people who, are, who know something about the topic, most of the people who comment don't know anything about anything, but mo sometimes the people who comment about this stuff actually know something, and that way I learn, hopefully you learn, and we get a sense of what's going on in the world, because you know one of the ways to combat the bias of the media is one of the ways to comment the, 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 the bias of the media is to put it out there and to get commentary that corrects the mistakes from people who are actually knowledgeable. 
Okay, somebody's asking me if that painting, whoops, that one, that one, is the geography geographer by Vermeer, and the answer is yes, one of my favorite paintings of all time, and one of the greatest, great paintings, and he has a geographer and he has an astronomer, both magnificent paintings, pro-science, at a, you know, at a time of the scientific revolution, the beginnings of the real scientific revolution. All right, let's see... Let's see what we have here. Um, okay, let's take some of the get the, some of the political stuff out of the way, and then we'll go to some of the more objectivist stuff. Um, Trump is in year four of his presidency. Do you feel he has perhaps learned a few things on the job, survived impeachment, and has tempered his narcissism? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Just look at his briefings. His briefings, with all due respect are a farce, a denigration of what it means to be presidential, a denigration of the office. He is a complete narcissist. He is much more interested in his side commentary about the press and the media or his arguments with the, with the reporters than he is about actually reporting truth to us and actually providing us with valuable information that can help guide our lives and maybe save our lives from this horrific, horrific virus. When he actually delivers actual decent content, he is reading. You can tell he's uncomfortable doing it. He doesn't do it very well. He's in his comfort zone when he's complete narcissistic a-hole. That's when he's in his comfort zone. And no, so I don't think he's learned anything. I don't think he's any more presidential now than he was back then. I don't think he's any less of a liar today than he was back then. I don't think he's any less impulsive than he was back then any more pragmatic than he was back then so no and indeed I think in some senses he's worse today because he fired a lot of what people call the adults in the room a lot of the the more credible people he had hired as advisors and as and as um, um, people in his cabinet are now gone he's either fired them or they would or they resigned so he's, he's stuck with a bunch of people surrounding him who are yes men, who, who do nothing. Luckily, we've got a few in the medical profession at the CDC and, and at, the, uh, at the IHS and, uh, you know, who, who stand up for it to him a little bit in these press conferences and provide some information. But just think about, you know, appointing his son-in-law, his son-in-law, who is, as far as I can tell, has no zero qualifications for doing anything. Can you think of a more narcissistic thing than putting your son-in-law in charge of dealing with the largest emergency the United States has had maybe since World War II? At least that's presented. His son-in-law, who is a nothing and a nobody. Now, it's the same nothing and nobody who Trump put in charge of the Israeli-Palestinian peace negotiations and deal. That didn't go very far. So, you know, it's just, it's just one thing after another. And this is my, I know, you, you're on, this is my presidential derangement syndrome. Just one thing after another with this. But to say that he learned something, this just, I, I just see zero evidence of it. Zero evidence of it. Um, there is no evidence, zero evidence. Just a, a comment on YouTube. That the coronavirus is anything, came from anywhere but an animal. 
uh, to humans. There's zero evidence, indeed, indeed, all the scientific evidence so far. Scientists who've actually done analysis of the genome, act, scientists who are actually credible scientists, uh, have, 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 say there is absolutely, you know, no chance that this, or, or an infinitesimal chance that this is man-made. This is a natural virus that came from animals. This is, did not jump from a lab. And if you watch news shows that purport to provide you with news saying that this is somehow lab-created and this is a Chinese conspiracy, then what you're watching is not news, but what you're watching is just organized BS. All right. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, but this is that it's always been, yes, H.L. Melkin hated FDR, no doubt other public intellectuals hated every other president. Is there a difference? Absolutely. Uh, every time it gets worse, right? So, yes, there was a period early on in the 20th century when we had some really bad presidents, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Wilson, and FDR. But then others were eh, just kind of, we had some good ones. Coolidge was a good one. Um, Harding wasn't bad. Eisenhower was bad, but kind of innocuous. Kennedy was awful, but again, overall innocuous. Johnson was really, really bad. Nixon oh, was terrible, but pff, relative to the other ones I've named, not that bad. And relative to these ones, Clinton, not, not as bad as the ones we have now. So, uh, no, in the 19th century, we had some decent presidents, certainly early on. But yeah, I mean, Reagan was certainly better than anything we have today or, or had in the last 20 years or since Reagan. So... You can you can rank them, you can qualify them, and I think the last three in Amer in the U.S., Bush, Obama, Trump, about as bad as it's possible. The difference between this and Chernobyl is somebody says it it can come from a lab without being any conspiracy. Look at Chernobyl. No, the conspiracy is to claim that it comes from a lab when it doesn't, or when there's zero evidence that it does. So yes, Chernobyl happened. We all know it happened. We all know why it happened. We knew why it happened the day, well, maybe not the day after, but the week after it happened. There was no conspiracy. We knew it. It was obvious. But in this case, yeah, it could have come from a lab. But there's zero evidence that it did come from a lab. Indeed, the evidence, again, scientists who actually looked at the genome, at the genetic code, and, and compared it to other coronaviruses and compared it to what they would expect to come from an animal and compared it to what usually is used in biological warfare or in what la labs leave a fingerprint on the DNA of the viruses they create. And they have said pretty unequivocally that this is not a man-made virus. I, I mean, you can, you can go and look at the academic literature on this. There's already been a number of papers that have said this. Right? So, it is a virus that comes from bats, that's what coronaviruses are, that infected some other animal, and that other animal infected a human being. That is the simplest, most accurate definition. In a lab, to create it in a lab, you would have to leave a fingerprint on it. 
you could take it from a bat, but then to turn it into coronavirus in humans, you would have to leave a lab fingerprint on it. And there is no fingerprint on it. That's the science. Some conspiracies are true, but this is conspiracy crap. Um, all right, so that's, oh, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, we've had a lot of bad politicians. We've had a lot of bad presidents. I'm, you know, but it gets worse. Every time it gets worse. Because, see, if, a, if there was a bad president in the 19th century, they had so little power, it didn't make that much difference. But the more power they have, the more being bad makes a difference. So it's going to get worse as government grows. So the politicians we have today are much worse in the sense that they have so much power over our lives. So then if you get a bad president, like we have now for a long time, it's going to impact us much more than it did 100 years ago. Much more. And as we lose any semblance of the founding principles in this country, as we lose the uniquely American sense of life, the impact of a bad presidency is much, much greater and the more difficult it is to rebound from it. I mean, keeping track of daily percentage increase of new cases, to me, in any logarithmic progression, the multiplier is the only number that matters, and it's trend. Am I wrong? Well, but the virus doesn't have to be logarithmic if actions are taken against it. So there's no question that the fact that this social distancing will slow the progression and reverse it, ultimately. I mean, China showed that. South Korea shown that. And maybe we're seeing that in New York, although we don't have enough evidence yet that that has happened. So action taken by people actually does... So logarithmic is not deterministic. Logarithmic is... It's logarithmic if nothing is done. And then it just grows until you get herd immunity or something. And then the herd immunity causes the logarithmic to decline. Algorithmic to decline. So you have to take into account the countervailing forces that are acting on the virus. Uh, in my opinion, Peter Hitchens is an excellent journalist on COVID-19 in the UK. What is your opinion of his reporting? You You know, I, haven't, I, I think I've seen one thing that was good. I haven't really followed Peter Hitchens on COVID-19. I followed him on other stuff, and he's too often, in my view, a standard conservative, but I, I will look him up with regard to COVID-19 and, and see. Uh, thanks for the recommendations. I'll definitely look it up. Um, the New York Times came out with an article where they explained how Stanford already had a test in February but we're not even willing to ask the FDA to allow use in hospitals. Will Congress limit FDA after COVID? I doubt it. I doubt it. I, I, it would be great. I mean, why not privatize the FDA? Why not 
create market incentives for the creation of private FDAs that compete with one another and that provide the same and better service to us doctors in the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, that would be a revolution that would save millions of lives and allow for life extension to flourish. But it's not happening, unfortunately. It's just not happening. All right. What's the difference between being corrupt and being dishonest? Hmm. Good question. I think corruption is probably a subcategory under dishonesty. So, for example, you can be dishonest to yourself, and that's really the essence of dishonesty. But you can't be corrupt to yourself. So dishonesty is about faking reality. And you can fake reality to yourself. But being corrupt is faking reality towards other people in an effort to gain something from them that you don't deserve. I think. Right? Now, can you be corrupt? I think corruption, we can talk about he's a corrupt human being in a sense of being corrupt towards themselves, but I don't think that's right. I think corruption is, is kind of like fraud. It, it, it relates to other people. It's, it's cheating, deceiving, being dishonest towards others in an attempt to gain something. I think that's right. Right? So I'd have to look at the dictionary definition of corrupt and dishonest. But I, I think corruption is a subcategory within dishonesty. It's dishonesty within a particular realm of life, dealing with others. Now, you can say thinking is corrupt. But really what you're saying there is his thinking is dishonest. He's allowed dishonesty into his thinking. It's corrupted it. Okay, so this is better. It's corrupted it. It's, it's poisoned it. It's made it It's made it bad, ineffective. So again, it's, it's, a, it's a sub-feature of consequences of dishonesty. Okay, another one that's uh, in the same kind of area. You say evading reality is suicidal. Is suicide. I know people who evade reality and are still alive. Many are wealthy. You can argue you'll never be fully happy like a consistent objectivist, but they're not going to die anytime soon. Yeah, but dying doesn't mean physically dead when we use it in objectivism. I mean, it means a living death. It means unhappiness. It means not having self-esteem. It means not being unhappy, being miserable. Right? So, when I say suicide, when I say evading reality is suicide... What I mean by that is every time you evade reality, you've taken a step towards non-existence. You've taken a step towards death. But that step doesn't mean you fall off the abyss. You get closer to it, and you move away from your ability to be happy. You move away from self-esteem. You move away 
from having a flourishing life. And in that sense, you move closer more and more towards a living death. And the more you evade, the more life is a living death. Think about what evasion means. It means ignoring reality. And think about what happens if somebody evades regularly. The whole realms of reality that they're ignoring, that they're pretending don't exist, but they do exist. And you can pretend reality doesn't exist, but it is there. And it is working on you, whether you like it or not. You can pretend your wife is not cheating on you, but she is. And that's impacting your relationship, whether you like it or not. You can pretend that your employee, oh, you can pretend that stealing from your employer is not going to cause you any harm, but it is going to cause you harm, whether you like it or not. So evasion leads you to suffer the consequences of whatever it is you're evading. And yet you suffer the consequences and are ignorant of why you're suffering the consequences. What it leads to is a complete detachment from reality, a psychological detachment from reality, and a detachment from cause and effect. Your marriage is deteriorating, but you're evading the cause. So you're stuck with, I have no clue why my marriage is deteriorating. I don't understand it. I'm completely clueless. You know, nothing means anything. And you're detached. Cause and effect, which corrupts, there's that word, corrupt your thinking. Corrupt your life. So when I say life, and I think this is true, well, suddenly it's true of Ayn Rand, but, but even when, 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 uh, when uh, the founders say you have an inalienable right to life, they don't mean just to be alive, to have a pulse. They mean to live. They mean to use your mind to pursue values, to attain happiness. They mean a life. So, when I say to live, I mean to live with everything that means for human beings. That to me means using your mind, your reason, pursuit of values, and pursuit of your own flourishing in pursuit of your happiness. Suicide to me is anything that goes against that, anything that goes against fully living your life. All right, it's good to have a philosopher on the chat here because Greg points out that corruption relates to a job or office. It's dishonest performance of the job office. To corrupt something is to make it bad. And a corrupt politician is one who has done that to his office. And I guess a corrupt thinker is one who does that to his thinking. You have made your thinking bad. Usually through dishonesty. All right, that's the evading reality. Whoops, did did I delete something here? One second. Oh, Can you point to objectivism eroding altruism in the culture? Yeah. I mean, I mean, slowly, suddenly, uh, you know, not as a cultural phenomenon, although I don't know. You remember there was um, the baby boomers in the 1980s were referred to as the me generation. Now, it wasn't an objectivist me. It wasn't a rational, egoistic me. 
But it was this approach in the 80s at least, I think, during their youth, during their productive, their productive period, they were engaged in making the most of their lives. It was a boost in productivity, a boost in innovation, Silicon Valley, Wall Street. And I don't know that that could have happened if not for Ayn Rand, if not for that generation having read Ayn Rand, if not for Ayn Rand doing those Donahue shows, if not for an injection of not the objectivist ethics, unfortunately, fully formed, but at least an approach to life that is reflected in Ayn Rand's novels. It's not an accident that Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged were bestsellers year after year after year after year leading into the 80s. And I think the, the whole self-help boom, the whole attempt at self-esteem became, this, became a self-esteem movement. It was a corrupt movement. But the whole terminology of self-esteem was something that Ayn Rand and then Nathaniel Brandon brought into the conversation. And it's anti-altruism. All those concepts are anti-altruism. So, I've often said that Ayn Rand has had a profound impact on the culture and a profound impact on the altruism in the culture, but one that it's hard to measure and hard to see because it's not deep yet. It's still superficial. But would we be as rich as we are today if not for Ayn Rand? In my view, no. Would we be as free as we are today, if not for Ayn Rand, in my view, no. I think we'd be much worse off if not today, if not for Ayn Rand and what she did in the 60s, 70s. I mean, 50, obviously, 40s, all the way back. <laughs> so, um, You have to remember, I've got... Yeah, so, yeah, I, I think objectivism had a huge impact. Primarily Ayn Rand has had a huge impact already on the culture. But it's not deep. It's going to take the work of our philosophers, of our intellectuals, to, to capitalize on that and go deeper and, and lay a deeper foundation for objectivism in the culture. And, of course, Ayn Rand will still do most of the work through her novels and through her nonfiction. Okay, Peter Navarro said in a briefing that the virus reinforces Trump's closed borders economic nationalistic policies. Do you think that they will have their way after this and be able to extensive long-term economic damage? Yes, <laughs> particularly if Trump wins re-election. Oh my God, this is one of the main reasons Trump must not win re-election. It's because him and Navarro will shut down trade if they can. The damage they would do will be generational. Hard to reverse. This is exact opposite. I mean, I just read a story that New York is getting a thousand um, respirators from China. Because China can ramp up production faster than we can in the U.S. Why? Because they have more people. They have more engineers. A lot of the respirators are coming in from Mexico. A lot of masks, a lot of stuff is going to come in from Brazil and Argentina and other places. Ventilators, not respirators, sorry, ventilators. 
It's a beautiful thing, a, a global supply chain. And just as we are shrinking into no production, the rest of the world is, or parts of the world are coming out of Corona, like China, and producing, or, or, or South Korea, they never shut down. I mean, I mean, it would be phenomenal if South Korea started making our ventilators and shipping them here as fast as possible. So, no, I mean, it's like saying, you know, what the financial crisis or what the Great Depression really proved is that we should not rely on the supply chain of food from state to state or from farm to supermarket. We should all go back and become subsistence farmers because, you know, what? when we're subsistence farmers, we don't have to rely on other people for our food. We just get our food directly, and then there's no problem. I mean, that's the argument. That's the argument. And it's barbaric. And it's primitive. And it would, if that argument wins another election, then we are really doomed. And we're not, you know, we, we don't, the fact is, we don't actually... Produce less. That's the other myth. We actually produce more stuff today than ever before in the American economy. Well, not today, because we've shut it down the economy, but before this crisis. But we do it with fewer people. Why? Because we automated. We became more efficient. We increased productivity. Globalization is one of the greatest things to happen to mankind ever. It's a process that started in the 19th century. It actually started with ancient Greece, with, with Athens, which was a trading uh, city-state that traded throughout the, the Mediterranean and had very much open trade across borders. Expanded in Rome. We had globalization with Rome. And in the 19th century, under the British Empire, we had globalization. And since World War II, we've accelerated that process. And it's a truly beautiful thing. There's no, there's no question that it is supply chains across the entire globe are fantastic. Now, if there's certain products that you know you need, and you know you will need an emergency, you can stockpile them. You can create alternative supply chains, so you're not dependent on one country. You can mothball factories to, to produce them when the time comes. There are lots of different things that you can do once you identify the specific things that you need and you desire in an emergency, and you plan ahead. The problem is, in this country... Politicians don't plan ahead. Zero planning ahead. Opa says, this is another question. Opa, Objectivism, Philosophy of Ayn Rand, Leonard Peikoff's masterpiece, says this of evading, quote, philosophy can tell us only this much. Reality is a unity. To depart from it at a single point, therefore, is to depart from it in principle and thus to play with a lighted fuse. 
So once you depart from reality, you're basically staking your life on a roulette wheel of chance. You, you have lost control of it. The character data from Star Trek would be interesting objectivist topic as in a conscious being looking for what it means to be human. Yeah, I mean, I think that is interesting. I think there's, there's a number of TV shows that have tried to deal with that. And I think you'll see more of people try to deal with that as, as we, we, people play around with robots gaining consciousness more and more. Play around with that in fiction. I mean, there was a show called Humans on the BBC that played around with this question. But yes, data, I didn't see a lot of Star Trek Next Generation, so I don't know how it was dealt with there. But that is a, it's, it's a good way to concretize that question. Okay, before we end, I have two television recommendations for you, two uh, shows on Netflix that I recommend, that I have uh, watched in the last few days and I think are fabulous. The first is a so-called unorthodox, unorthodox. It is a show about a woman who leaves the orthodox community in Williamsburg, Williamsburg, I think, New York. The ultra-orthodox, barbaric Jewish community over there and sets out on, a, on trying to create an independent life for herself. The, the show, you know, is just like a couple of weeks in her life, just her leaving and what happens to her immediately afterwards and what happens in the community and it has flashbacks to her marriage and everything else. And it is really good. The actress is spectacular, the way she portrays this. The, the show portrays the religious orthodox barbarism for all it is. Maybe it's a little soft on them in places, but generally it shows how truly barbaric they are and their customs are and their whole mentality is. And it shows the courage that it takes to break out of that. It shows how disorienting it is to go from a cult, which is basically what they are, into reality and having to deal with reality. It has a good ending. It has a good middle. It has a good... I mean, it really is a good show. Four episodes. Four episodes. Intense, dramatic, beautifully done, beautifully, beautifully acted. And I have to say, I have a... uh, You know, if if there, there are certain peoples around the world that I despise um, because of their ideas and their philosophy and their behavior. And the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community is one of those groups that I despise the most. So anything that reinforces that is good. Um, This is a show called Unorthodox. Unorthodox. And it's based on a memoir and uh, that, so it's based on a true, true story. Uh, but it's really, really a good show in terms of showing you, showing you, A, the, the courage, the courage it takes to live. The courage it takes to live. That, it's a good show about living death versus living, versus living. And um, so I, I, I recommend that. The other one is, and this is particularly for any of you out there who are soccer fans, although I think it's a fun show even if you're not, not a soccer fan. It's called The English Game. The English Game. And it is, again, based on a true story of the 
uh, early days of the English soccer league, football league, when the league was originally dominated by aristocrats, uh, uh, men who came out of the top English schools like Eton and the FA Cup, the, the British Cup, was won regularly by old Etons who were, you know, graduates of Eton. And it's just at that point where working class teams are coming to the foray, where people who are working for a living uh, are actually starting to engage in playing football and competing with the aristocrats. And the, it, it deals with the first example of professional football, where some of these players are being paid. And I thought it, I thought it was wonderful. It, it, it's by the same creators as did... Um, well, it just escaped my mind, as usual. As did um, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Um, so it's got that benevolence. There no, there's some bad guys, but they're not really, really bad. And, and you know, the, 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 and and they kind of redeem themselves, or you know, maybe one of those two of them don't. But generally, it's just got this benevolent sense of like both. I think in the way it treats the working class and in the way it treats the banker and the uh, and the uh, his aristocratic and, and the aristocrats. It's just, if you want a feel-good, fun show, it it's, tries to stay away from politics, although, you know, it's there, the way the working class are treated versus the aristocrats, it's there. But it doesn't take a political attitude towards it. And yet, it's just a feel-good and, and entertaining, interesting history I didn't know at all. Uh, a lot of fun. So it's called The English Game about the beginnings of professional football, professional soccer. Um, Daniel asks, can you have John Allison on sometimes? It would be fun to hear you two chat about the Fed's moves and possibly a way out of the mess. Yeah, that would be fun, actually. Good, good, good idea. I'll, I'll talk to John and see if he wants to come on. That would, be, that would be a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, everybody. This was uh, fun. Make it kind of short. This is the opposite of the three-hour show. It's just one hour and five minutes. Uh, I'm going to go and relax a little bit, enjoy the weekend. You guys, enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Don't forget to share the show. Don't forget to give it a thumbs up. Don't forget to like, tweet, whatever. Um, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. I put up a lot of interesting stuff up there. And, of course, don't forget to support the show. If you can afford it, you know, now's a great time to... You know, support it in a healthier way as, uh, uh, as this becomes a bigger and bigger chunk of my income. I, that would be really appreciated. And um, you can do that on youronbookshow.com slash support. Uh, I love doing these videos and I love seeing the response I get from you. And it seems like there are less and less trolls uh, on the chat, which is good. Some of the anti-Semites have left and disappeared and got away, which is always good. And yet we're getting good numbers in spite of the fact that they, are le- that they have gone. Uh, sharing my videos is not altruistic. It is in your self-interest that the truth get out there into the world and help change the world for the better for you. So it's egoistic for you to share the videos. And it egoistic, if you get value from the shows, it's egoistic to support them financially. Uh, thanks, everybody. 
I'll see you probably tomorrow. Bye.